Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Morning, church. Good to see you. Good to be together. Oh, I thought the music would just keep going. Just give me a little theme song. Uh, really, really great to be together. Uh, so glad to, to be able to open up God's Word together this morning. So, uh, I will say this. I have been feeling lately um, the weight of all that is going on in our world. And, um, you know, I know that um, it, it could be said that at any given time, there's so much hardship and suffering going on in our world. But actually, I feel like in this particular season, just thinking about, for instance, the, the war in Ukraine that has now been going on for a year, which we gave a lot of attention to early on, but now here we are a year later and people are still losing their lives and apartment buildings are being destroyed and people are losing their homes. And, and that is still going on. I, I mean, right now there are 25 million people who are the victims of forced labor being human trafficked. Four million people stuck in sex trafficking. One million of those are children. It's just like unthinkable statistics. And then that feels a little far from home sometimes, though it's actually not. Um, And I will say that I even find it hard to turn on the news because I see what happened at Michigan State and in these elementary schools and these young people losing their lives, somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's brother or sister. And it's just like, ugh, it just hurts inside. Sometimes it gets even closer to home than that. Maybe you or a loved one is having some relational difficulty, some difficulty in your marriage, Uh, maybe going through a divorce, and it's just heartbreaking. It's like, ugh. Or maybe it's just that we're two months into 2023, and maybe you had hoped that by now you would have found a job or a new job or a place to live or a new place to live. Or one of the many things that you hoped for for 2023 and two months have gone by and you're not there yet. And there's just this sense of frustration. So welcome to church. Uh, And you're like, man, Justin, you are a real downer today. All right, listen, uh, if you're new, I'm not usually this much of a downer, but I do actually want to just share with you my heart and I want for us to lean in together as a family into the, the, the suffering and the pain that we all experience together. We've been in this series called Wait For It, going through Romans chapter 8, and so much of this chapter deals with this tension that we live in, this tension between suffering and our pain and something that the Bible describes as hope. And we kind of live in that tug of war. And as we kind of lean into that today a little bit further, um, I would love to explore together in the scriptures as we continue in these next couple of verses in Romans chapter 8. What is the bridge between those things? How is it that in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our hardship that we can experience hope, that the hope of the gospel actually envelops that hardship in a way that's palpable, that we feel, that changes the way that we see the world? And this is what is available to us, and, and the scriptures that we're going to look at today uh, really open up a whole new window into how, that, how God makes that possible. So let's dive in, yes? 
Okay, good. So we're going to be continuing in our passage. Uh, we're going to be focusing mostly on verses 26 and 27. So what I'd like to do is read those two verses together. Um, and that's going to be kind of the center of where we hang our hats. But then we're going to take a minute and kind of frame it. That's going to help us kind of see it a little bit more clearly. So verse uh, 26 and 27 reads like this. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay, so right at the top, you see something like in the same way. You see anything in the scriptures, therefore, likewise, in the same way. It's important to know what it is that's happening around it. Now, Robert did an awesome job of talking us through some of these verses that came right before it. He was talking to us about this very tension, how the world is marked by suffering, how we will suffer, and we live in this tension between hardship and suffering and hope, right? We saw it last week in verse 20, right? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, both in our passage in 26 and 27, and in these couple of verses that we read, there's all this talk about groaning, this groaning language. And it's kind of a, a, a portion of our verses in 26 and 27 that have been very confusing, I think, to many people over the years. But why is it that there's this talk about groaning and liberation, this tension that kind of Robert brought out for us last week? Well, Paul, who wrote this, Paul is a Pharisee. Paul is a Bible nerd. He knows his Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. He knows it inside out and backwards. And he's hearkening us back to one of the central stories in the scriptures. He's speaking to a tension between suffering and hope. So, a uh, little pop quiz. Maybe some of you have grown up in Sunday school or you know some of the Old Testament stories. You hear words like groaning, bondage, liberation. You hear those types of words. Anybody know what story Paul might be hearkening us back to? It's a real question. We're in this together. Yes, yes. There's a book of the Bible named after the story. It is the book of Exodus. It's telling this story that starts right at the beginning of the Bible, way, way at the beginning. Humanity decides to redefine good and evil for themselves and rebel against God. So then God chooses one man, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through you and your family, I am going to bring redemption and restoration and make all that is broken right. I'm going to make all of that happen in the world through you, Abraham, and through your family. And he makes a promise to him, a covenant. And over the years, generations later, as this family grows, due to a famine, they have to leave their, the land that is their home and they have to go to Egypt. And they end up in Egypt and over the course of years, the Egyptians become afraid that this group, Abraham's family, the Israelites, that they are going to overtake Egypt. So what do the Egyptians do? They enslave them. They carry out genocide against them. And for 400 years... The Israelites are crying out to God. They're, they're crying out for liberation. 
And that brings us to the Exodus story, the book of Exodus. And it actually brings us to the very first time this word groan or groaning ever shows up in the scriptures. And it shows up in Exodus chapter 2. It says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help was because, their, uh, was because of their slavery, and it went up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So this word groaning in the Hebrew is actually kind of a fun word to say, but you kind of like need to get into your throat to get it out. So the word is anach. Want to try to say it? Anach, right? Yeah, so we're like, and people next to you are like, right? Okay, so it, it, anach is one of these words that, where the, the word actually kind of sounds like the sentiment. Like we have it, it, we have these words in English, right? Like arg, or even, even like ugh, right? Like the word sounds like the sentiment. So my parents, and I grew up speaking, I don't speak it well, but around this Indian language called Malayalam. Any Malayalam speakers in the room? I think there's one or two kicking around. Yeah, I see some hands raised. So Malayalam is a palindrome, by the way. Like you can read it, the word either way, Malayalam, right? Like race car. Okay, you don't care about that. So, <laughs> he, he, so but in, the, in Malayalam, there's a word. I'll teach you one Malayalam word, all right? It's tup, okay? It's kind of gross because it means spit. But Next time you spit, listen to the sound that it makes. And it's going to be thup, right? It's kind of it's what, what this is. This word anach is kind of just this sense of despair and suffering that has no words. It's just this sense of ugh. And the groaning, the anach that the Israelites were feeling in 400 years of slavery is not just wanting the suffering to end, though it is that. It's this tension that they're feeling between their current situation, the slavery, the bondage that they've been in for a few centuries now, held up against the promise that God made to Abraham and said, you are my chosen people. And they're living in this tension and they're groaning and they're saying, how do these two things reconcile? So I like this verse tells us God hears their groaning. He hears their anach. And he sends Moses, the most unlikely person you could imagine, to come and lead them out of slavery and into freedom. And it's true liberation into the promised land. And over the generations that follow, the Israelites, they live out the fullness of this story. They eat this story in a meal called Passover every year, and they remember the fullness of it. And as Paul's writing Romans chapter 8, he believes... And he's preaching to us that God has sent a new and a better Moses to deliver us out of the tension between ugh, anach, the situation that we live in, and the promise of who God says that we are and what God says that he is going to do. That in Jesus, Jesus himself is the one who liberates us. That through his death, he absorbed our sins and the penalties that go along with it. And that in his resurrection, he makes all things new and he gives us hope. So central is the good news about Jesus Christ uh, as it relates to this Exodus story is that when, when Jesus wanted to explain what it is that he was about to do, if you know the story, right before he goes to the cross, he shares a Passover meal. Just as they're eating this story of liberation from slavery in Egypt, Jesus, over that meal, he institutes a new meal, communion. We're going to share in it together in just a few minutes. And he says, eat this story now. That this tension that you live in, 
the world that's marked by suffering and hardship is in fact being made new and being renewed because of the gospel. And he's like, eat this story, live it. And that's the reason why Paul gets to this place of hope. And he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here it is. He's, Paul's been painting this beautiful picture of the gospel and he knows that there's suffering and there's hope. And we still sense that tension in our world today, right? We all suffer in one way or another. If you haven't suffered, if you're not suffering at this moment, you certainly have in the past and you will again in the future. And it leaves us with this sense of anach. This is not the way it should be. And it's more than just wanting the suffering to stop. It's this tension between who we were meant to be and this current situation that we're in. So how do we grapple with that reality? How do we grapple with that? And I would say that, friends, it, it starts with this reality. That we are not alone in our suffering. That we are not alone in our groaning, in our sense of enough. That we are not alone in this tension between our suffering, our hardship, the suffering and hardship in the world around us, and hope. There's, the, this is, there's a central theme in this passage, in this Romans chapter 8 that we've been studying together, of the work of the Spirit in us. We talked about being controlled by the Spirit. We've talked about living by the Spirit in previous weeks. We've talked about um, how the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead gives life to our mortal bodies. We, we've talked about how the Spirit does not leave us as fearful creatures, but instead declares and marks us as children of God, loved and known and valued by God himself. The Spirit does not leave us alone in our weakness, in our groaning. But we'll see that the Spirit does two important things. The Spirit draws our groaning, our anach, our ugh from within us. It draws it out from us and it draws it upward to the presence of God. And there is amazing and powerful freedom in that reality. Let's take a look at it. Verse 26, here's our passage for today. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Friends, that is an amazing, amazing truth. He is with us. We are not alone. He helps us. But then why is it? Why is it that we don't know what to pray, like this, like this passage says here that Paul's starting to appreciate. And it's, it's partly because of just like the, the depth of our suffering, the, the enough that we're feeling, this sense of, ugh, right? We can't even put words to it. So uh, I had a birthday uh, a couple of weeks ago. Some of you guys wished me a happy birthday. That was really great. Thank you for that. And um, uh, part of what I wanted for my birthday was to just get away, like, by myself. So I have to, my, and I had to kindly like tell my family, it's not that I don't want to spend time with you. I just, I really need this. So I did both. Like I, I got away for a few hours, drove out East and like stared at some vineyards and stuff and then came back and we had dinner and it was really fun. Okay. So while I was away, um, I, I took some time and I just kind of drew out this 
timeline of my life. And I marked all these major events in my life, and then I took a green pen and I took a red pen. And with a green pen, I, I, I wrote some ways that I may have been feeling God's presence, and then I took a red pen and I wrote out some of my feelings of despair and hardship in those seasons. And guys, there was a lot of green and there was a lot of red. And I looked at this whole thing, 45 years worth, and I saw all these different colors. And when I honed in on those red sentences that I wrote, it, 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 it reminded me of these moments of unthinkable heartache that I remember. Devastation, where I just had no words to describe what I was feeling. It's, I'm just talking like fists against the dashboard, kind of like, ugh. You know, I have memories of just burying my head in my friend's shoulder and just weeping. No words to communicate the hardship that, that I was feeling. You ever have like a hard time or maybe you're going through something hard and your friend senses it and your friend comes up to you and is like, um, hey man, seems like you're going through a hard time. Like, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? Have you ever answered with like, yeah, I don't know. You ever done that? Right? Where it's just like, you appreciate their, their intention, but it's like, you just, it's like, I don't know. I just, I just don't have words to communicate what I'm going through and w what I need. And that is what, it, what he's talking about here, this groaning. And what it means that we are not alone is that a person, the person and the presence of the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So that word intercedes is this idea of like intervening, like coming and getting involved. And the Spirit of God himself, he comes in and he gets involved because the Spirit in you knows and understands your pain and your suffering better than you do. And part of what this promise that we find in this scripture is that the Spirit himself, in those moments of suffering, of ugh, enough, like I can't even put words to it, that the Spirit himself comes into your heart, reaches into the very corners and the crevices of your heart that you can't even put language to what it is that you're feeling. And the Spirit draws out that hardship, that sentiment, right, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And I think the church has readily gotten really confused by this statement. But when you look at it in the framework of what it is that he's talking about, he's talking about this enough, this sense that we cannot put words to the suffering, and yet the Spirit is able to get into the corners and the crevices of our heart and pull that out for us. He knows what we are unable to put words to. Wow, that is a comforting reality church we are not alone in our suffering so when i when i continue i look back on 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 the couple of weeks ago when i had that timeline and i was looking at all of the different events the green and the red what the lord refreshed me with and i would commend this exercise to all of you like i did it like a decade ago and i did it again now and, and man like you you look at that and you start to see there's green and there's red but you see the thread of god's faithfulness and his presence throughout it and that very thing is what gives me confidence yes amen you know 
It is true. And that is the thing that gives me confidence and can give you confidence that just as God is faithful and you see the thread of his life and it's not all red and it's not all green, but he's there through all of it, that just as he's been there for 45 years, if he gives me another 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, that he's going to continue, that thread is going to continue through. That is your story. That is the promise that is available to us. And I think about those hard times and I look at it in the large picture of that timeline and I can't even fully understand what I was feeling at the time. But looking back, I see how the Spirit of God put, put words and sentiment to something that I couldn't, to my enough. We don't always need to articulate our pain perfectly. I think sometimes we put far too much pressure on ourselves to come before God and be able to put the exact words of what we're feeling before him. And, and I'll sit there and be like, oh God, I'm feeling something. I don't know how to communicate it. And then I hear somebody else pray. and I'm like, oh my gosh, they pray so well. Why can't I pray like that? And it's like we, we put all this pressure on ourselves, right? And, and, and there is goodness in that. There is goodness in our going through the process in community with others to try to identify what we're feeling. And there's goodness in putting language to it. However, there is also this promise that there is something inside of us that is enough. That is, that is something that we cannot put, put words to. And, and one of the promises that is offered to us here is that the Spirit of God himself comes into you and finds and experiences that, that hardship in a way that you can't and draws it out from you. But the Spirit's work doesn't stop there which is an awesome and amazing promise. He draws our groaning out and he pleads for you and he brings that groaning that we cannot put language to upward to the presence of the Father himself. Take a look at verse 27, the next verse. It says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God is the one who searches our hearts and the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And we just read about this promise of how the Spirit infiltrates, intercedes, permeates the corners of our hearts and expresses that which we cannot. And the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. So here, look at what it says here. It says the Spirit intercedes for God's people. Now, we just saw that a verse ago, right? We, said, we just saw that in the last verse. It says the Spirit intercedes. In the English, it's the same word, intercedes. In the Greek, it's actually two different words that have slightly different meanings. So in that, first, in that last verse, it, was, it uses the word intercedes, but the Greek word has to do with this idea of intervening, of, of inserting himself into your situation. This word intervene is a slightly different word. This has the idea of petitioning and pleading on behalf of another. So after the Spirit has, has inserted himself into your hardship and into your pain, the Spirit intercedes, pleads with God on your behalf. In John chapter 14, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate, right? So when I'm not doing this, I practice law, and I have the chance to uh, sometimes try cases, right? Stand before a judge or a jury. All right, so before I actually try a case, here's what I have to do. I have to get ready for that trial. And in order to get ready for that trial, I have to delve into every detail, every crevice of that case. I have to read countless transcripts and look over medical records and get every single detail of everything. Then I need to speak with the witnesses and speak with my client and hear the things that they are saying. And after I have 
got gathered all of that information, the reality is I'm actually able to see things that my client is not able to see. And armed with all of that, I'm able to go before a judge or a jury and plead with them. And plead with this big picture of what it is as before. It's not that different than what it is that the Spirit is doing here. This, the promise is that the Spirit comes into our hearts, sees what we're unable to see, reaches into the crevices and the corners of our hearts, and then expresses that, pleads that upward to the Father. He pleads for us in accordance with the will of God. So that's something that I think uh, it can be easily confusing to us. So, so many times we find ourselves in this hardship, in some type of a difficult season, and we barely know how to pray over it because we find ourselves concerned with like, oh God, like what is happening? Is this your will? What is your will? And we find ourselves spinning in circles. We're already disoriented from the hardship of that season. And then now we're doubly disoriented because we're trying to figure out God's will. Listen, God's will for your life is your sanctification. That's what the scriptures say. God's will for your life and my life is that we would open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit. That we would create the conditions in our lives, in our hearts, for the Spirit to do this exact work. To, for the Spirit to come into the corners of the crevices of your heart and to bring outward what it is that you can't communicate, what you can't put words to. And then to plead upward and bring those things to God. Friends, this is an amazing, amazing, incredible pro promise. We are not alone in our suffering. And the ways in which that God meets us in our suffering are not some abstract idea that exists in the cosmos. It is real. It's this idea that a person, the Holy Spirit himself, comes into you and draws out that pain and then draws it upward to the Father. The Spirit takes our groans and conforms them into prayers that align with the will of God. Man, that's powerful. This is, what, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. This is what is available to you and what is available to me in the Holy Spirit through the good news about Jesus. And, and as we start to lean into that reality, what I said at the beginning, which just sounds like a nice adage, I think takes on new life which is that we are not alone in our suffering. And that is not an abstract concept. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to do this work in you is as real as the air that is touching your skin, as real as the chairs you're sitting on and the people that are sitting next to you. If we would claim the power of that reality and the result is that when we allow for him to draw out our groans and to lift them up, we experience that hope that Paul is talking about. We experience the liberation that is found in the Exodus story and in the Jesus story and in your story and in my story. We experience that freedom. Friends, prayer is not about us finding the perfect words to communicate with God. It is about our opening ourselves to connection and communication with God. And there, like I said, there is goodness in finding the words. Finding words sometimes helps us understand what's happening in our hearts. But there's a process and a practice that Jesus actually models for us in how we can open ourselves up more richly to the power and the good news of the gospel and the fact that the, the Holy Spirit does this on our behalf. 
I would say it starts with this. What will it look like for us to be still in the presence of God? You know, Jesus actually demonstrated this for us in a little micro journey that he had as it relates to this exact thing. And it happened at the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross. Because man, you want to talk about a guy feeling a sense of anach. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is about to go and be crucified. He knows what lies ahead. He knows the hardship that's about to be in front of him. And what does he do? He's sitting with his disciples and he says, sit while I go over there and pray. And he says, I'm going to get away and I'm going to get into the presence of God quietly. I'm going to start right there. Next, I would say, let yourself feel. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, I'm going to go over there. I'm just going to be still in God's presence because of this feeling of, ah, that is within me. And then he goes and he lets himself feel that. What does he say? He says, my, Jesus says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That is a description of anah. He does not put words to what it is that he's feeling. He, he's not saying, oh, well, I'm feeling disappointed and anxious and I'm feeling nervous or whatever it might be. It's just, Lord, I am feeling it's, I, I'm just, I'm crushed. It is enough is what I'm feeling. I'm living in this tension and he allows for himself to feel it. And then I would say, what does it mean or look like for us to open ourselves to the closeness of the spirit at work in us? What does that look like? Well, Jesus did it. He comes before the father and he says, not my will, but your will be done. He's going through this process. He goes and he, he, he experiences stillness in the presence of God and he lets himself feel the anah that is in his spirit. And, and he opens himself to the closeness of the spirit at work in him. And he lets the spirit bring those feelings to the Father. And that is what is available to us, friends. The, the same spirit that was on Jesus and in Jesus is on you and in us. And has the power to do this exact same thing. And I'll tell you one thing. The result of doing so, what we see with Jesus, and for sure what is available and what we're invited to in the power of the work of the spirit, the result is hope. The result is the freedom that we long for. Jesus lived in that hope right after he had this little micro journey. Just think about it for a second if you know the story. So Jesus goes through this process at the Garden of Gethsemane where he's still and he's alone and he allows, he feels his feelings and he processes them with the Holy Spirit and he allows for the Holy Spirit to draw them out. And then after that, if you know the story, what happens is he, he comes out of that situation with a renewed confidence. And Judas shows up and he, and he says to Judas, who's about to betray him, he says, do what you have to do. And before long, he's standing before the Sanhedrin, which is a, a, a group that had the ability to judge him and that were, um, you know, pushing for his execution. And he stands there and with confidence. He mostly stays quiet. And the only thing that he does say is, yes, uh, I am who you're saying that I am. I have come to redeem the whole world. And he's filled with confidence and he's filled with hope and he's filled with a, an assurance that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That is the freedom that the Israelites were looking for in Egypt, more so than purely 
liberation from the bondage of slavery. They wanted, to, they wanted freedom and hope into the reality that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And you know what? I'm sometimes prone to look at something like that and be like, well, you know what? Like, I'm not Jesus. So Jesus went through that process, but can I? And we saw it right in Romans chapter 8, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives in you and lives in me. And we, we minimize his power when the invitation is so profound. When we allow the spirit to do this work, we begin to feel better. We do. And that's not some like gimmicky, oh, I feel a little bit better. Our sense of enough gets replaced with hope. Yes, and it's, it's sometimes, often, it happens very, very slowly, and it often happens through great pain, and it always requires a process, but there's promise of hope on the other side. And friends, it, like I said, it doesn't mean that we don't use words. We do. But even in our words, even if I can find the words sometimes, I often feel like those words are not enough to express the ugh that is inside of me. But we also have the Spirit as our advocate, drawing our groans out from us and praying them to the Father for us in a way that aligns with the will of God so that we might experience this hope more richly. And that's the reason why Paul says something like this in Romans. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you guys would, I would love to just um, read this verse together and let these words pour into us. Let the power of the Holy Spirit who is eager to work in your heart begin to make his way into the parts of your heart that you might be resisting because his promise is true. Let's read this together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we are so grateful for these moments that we can come before you together for the power of your spirit and what it is that he is desiring to do in us. Thank you that we are not alone in our suffering. We are not alone in our sense of enough. But in fact, you are with us, that you want to come into us in new ways. And you, would you are, are eager to, to bring out from us that sense of ugh and bring that very sense up to God with words that we can't find. God, we are so grateful for that reality that you are always with us, that you never ever leave us alone and that the result of this is hope hope in the power of the good news about jesus that we are made new we are created for hope that is who we are and that is the reality of what you are doing and will do in our lives so god would you cause us to lean into that a little bit more each day would you cause us to open up our hearts just a little bit more as we eat this story together in this communion meal would you remind us that we are not bound up by our suffering, but we are free in the good news of Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.
If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.